Hello and welcome to General Broadcast, the podcast from the East of England Ambulance Service. My name's Jordan. Recently, I was on the phone with Dr Esther Murray, a health psychologist who specialises in something called moral injury. It's the idea that in emergency services and different sectors, we see lots of pretty horrible things on a daily basis and they impact our view of the world. She spent quite a lot of time working with a bunch of different industries from the ambulance service to counter-terrorism policing to really understand what it is that people go through when they experience trauma on a daily basis and what she can do to recommend solutions for it. I sat down and had a fantastic conversation with her on the phone so the audio quality probably isn't that great. Hopefully you'll pick up something useful and I hope you enjoy. Okay, so my name's Esther Murray and I am a health psychologist by profession. Um, And it's quite important to know that because health psychologists are naturally, I think, have the tendency to be fairly kind of springy people who want stuff to go well. We're um, interested in behaviour change and supporting people in making the changes in their lives uh, in order to... uh, live the best life they can really so often that's in the realm of their health um but it uh, and our i suppose our perceptions of mental health are perhaps a little bit different um to other people's because we often see normal sadness normal anxiety um normal upset in relation to health related difficulties and that's really carried over into my work with healthcare practitioners of all kinds because I'm always very interested in what is the psychological support available to people doing jobs like these? Why isn't there more of it? And of course, people are going to be upset and and feel badly if they see upsetting things. So that's what led me to start doing the work that I do. Amazing. So can you give an overview of the work that you're doing at the minute? Yeah, for sure. So I started trying to conceptualise the experience, the psychological experience of doing frontline work work so I thought when I started doing it I thought that it would be all the pre-hospital care folk who were exposed to major traumas like um, whether that's a a mass casualty from from an accident or from a terrorist attack or from a fire or whatever I really thought it would be that but when I started speaking to people and trying to understand better what was difficult about the job that they did it turned out that, that there were lots of different kinds of jobs that upset people, made life difficult for them and were very triggering. Um, so I think about these things in the frame of moral injury, if you like. So moral injury um, describes the psychological harms that can come to you from witnessing things which are wrong, which shake your view of the world. So we'd all like to think the world is a better place than it probably is. And moral injury describes what happens to you and and the work you have to do when you've seen things that remind you I suppose that the world world is a a difficult and a bad place and bad things happen and parents might hurt their children and uh, teenagers might stab each other and people might live in unsafe buildings which then get set on fire so we can all agree that those are bad and difficult things and it's better I think to be able to talk about them than to try to pretend they're not happening This is a normal and usual reaction for people, so we're not saying there's anything wrong with anyone for being upset by the sorts of jobs they see. And as I said, the sorts of jobs that upset people um, and that stay with them 
are, are really, really varied. So for some people, it will be seeing older people in poverty. For some people, it is indeed the paediatric cases. Um, some people, um, suicide is the thing that they struggle with the most. It's different for different people. So what I do now, I'm doing a bit less research perhaps than I'd like to be doing because I don't have as much time because I spend a lot of time travelling around giving talks but also listening I really like it when people tell me about their experience and um, I'm involved in some psychological well-being days which are actually with theatre staff and with the intensive care society I do things with them as well because they approached me you know when I started to talk at conferences they came to me and said oh no it's not just people doing pre-hospital care the point if you're work, if you are working in the front line and you're working in the ambulance service you do get a bit more used to seeing those sorts of things because you've seen those sorts of things, but it doesn't make it right. And that's why it stays with people. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we have a... I don't know how to describe it. It's like an idea that there's some sort of hierarchy of pain, you know, that that you can only be upset by certain things. And that that's not peculiar to the ambulance service. That's kind of humans, really. I, I, I'm not sure what drives that. But, of course any job could stick with anyone because maybe it reminds you of something maybe it's a particular area of sensitivity for you maybe you're at a phase in your life where this hits you harder so for example becoming a parent yourself is going to change the way you see the world or getting older changes the way you see the world or falling in love or or all kinds of things so i often talk to people now who say to me oh such and such a thing never used to bother me and it bothers me now uh, or they say you know as I get into my 40s I really notice that I'm just can't bounce back in the way that I did before that's a that's a really interesting point can you go into that a bit more because we have um we we've got a number of staff who have been here for you know 10 20 30 years in some cases what kind of what would cause that because some people would argue that the longer you see it the, the more experienced you are in seeing it and maybe the more you're able to cope with it but is that sometimes not the case well there's a really great role for experience in coping so what we know from all the research about coping is that the more you do it and the more you know that you're doing it well the better it is okay so definitely getting older uh, has its advantages in the sense that you know yourself better and you certainly know how to manage yourself better the thing that i've been hearing from the people i've been talking to is And it's interesting because it's really as they age into their 40s, this has been a really specific sort of age group, late 30s, early 40s, is that I suppose it's it's not an inability to cope at all. It's just that you notice yourself in a different way because time is passing. And uh, and I think when you get into your 40s, certainly in my experience, you notice like, wow, that's a lot of time I've got under my belt there. Um, So it's not to say that you get less able to cope the older you get it's just to say that it changes and your relationships with certain jobs change different things will resonate with you at different times in your life and in your working life sticking on the subject of of kind of coping and experience we have a we've got a bit of a dynamic mix of of people in this trust so we've got some like i say very experienced people who've been doing the job a a long time but also a, a large number of newer people who are out on the road and in these uh, kind of other roles you know like the control room things like that how how does this how does this differ between those roles and is there something that both those kind of groups can do to support each other yeah i think there's always stuff that we can do to support one another i think being 
kind to ourselves and to one another is one of our most useful approaches to all of this. Um, so I'll give you a for instance. I, it isn't an age difference, but it's an experience difference. So I was talking to someone at work the other day, and obviously I don't work in it. You know, I'm an academic most of the time. Um, and I was talking about kind of stress at work and being overloaded. I really noticed that after I'd spoken to that person, I'd just gone in and they were really new. And I'd just gone in and had basically a huge rant about my workload. And that wasn't actually a very kind or helpful thing to do, reflecting on it. Um, when we're used to a job and have been doing it for a while, we know the good things about it and we know the difficult things about it. And we need to be mindful about how we talk to other people about that. There's a really big role, I think, for for preparation. I think it's this comes up over and over again when younger people and trainees and students and newly qualified people talk to me. They say, I wish I'd been better prepared for how it was going to be. And of course, you can't 100% take away the shock of it for people. Of course, that's not possible. But there might be ways in which we can prepare people for how they might feel about certain types of jobs. And I think the the newer folk coming in, whether they're newly qualified or, and, and younger, or they're newly qualified and older, it doesn't really matter, um, can bring a lot of nice energy, fresh energy, if we can let ourselves see that and we're not too jaded for having been doing a job for a very long time. So we can certainly benefit from one another. So the secret is to just be kind to each other and kind yeah. to yourself, I guess. Yes, yes. And the, the trick there, because being kind to yourself, it can be an awful lot more difficult than being kind to other people. So the trick would be to start with whichever one you can manage and and they both inform one another. So once you start being kinder to yourself, you naturally start being kinder to other people. And then if you need to start with being kinder to other people, then notice how that feels and see if you can apply it to yourself. But these are not necessarily quick and easy things to do. <laughs> if they were well, quick and <laughs> easy, I think we'd all be doing it. <laughs> Why is it, just out of interest, you might not know, but why is it so hard for us to do that kind of thing, especially in this kind of emergency role environment? Why is it so hard for us to be kind to ourselves and maybe to others, do you think? Well, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I think partly there are cultural reasons, perhaps our ways of being, the way we grew up um, and how we consider ourselves uh, there's not an awful lot of sort of touchy-feely nice self-talk maybe it seems a bit hippy-dippy a bit softy don't really like that or um maybe we're really high achievers lots of people who want to do really really well they tend to be pretty hard on themselves um it's, it hasn't been encouraged it's the sort of thing you'd want to be taught at school really how to be decent to yourself how to um, be be reasonable with yourself, have reasonable expectations of yourself and, and not beat yourself up. I think the reasons are many and various. If you're in a very difficult organisation where things are very stressful and you're under an awful lot of pressure, that so the, the unkindness is coming in from the outside there, isn't it? So it's actually really hard to resist it and to, to have a sort of nice internal dialogue that isn't about the stress that's all around you. It's a complicated business. Segwaying on from that slightly then, what, what kind of... What kind of things or techniques would you recommend to people when they feel like their bucket is full or, you know, they are experiencing these kind of um, feelings? What would you recommend them to sort of relieve the pressure in that bucket? Right. So the first 
first thing is to know your bucket's full. See, not everybody knows that. And, that. and I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I don't know that I'm overwhelmed until some kind soul points it out. Perhaps they don't point it out very kindly. Perhaps they just tell me that I'm being grumpy or whatever. So the first thing is to know that your bucket's full. Um, the big the big trick here is a sort of a level of self-awareness and, and I'm going to say mindfulness um, and the ability to notice how you're doing. So we don't all do that all the time because we're not all busy being self-obsessed and certainly in jobs like yours, you've got stuff to do. You're not sitting around, um, you know, navel gazing and, and what have you. So getting good at just quickly noticing how am I doing today oh yeah you know maybe I'm a bit stressed out maybe I didn't sleep well um maybe my back hurts maybe I've got other worries on my mind something like that um and then in terms of doing something about emptying the bucket each person will need to do something different for that some people want to talk it out some people want to go to the pub and talk about something different like football or whatever for some people it's quite something quite passive along the lines of watching tv maybe watching something funny or something really complicated um that, that will take them away you know distract them for some people it's exercise um for some people it's being on their own for some people it's being around other people could be anything but the, the trick would be to find out what your things are what genuinely genuinely suits you there's quite a lot of pressure to do certain types of things like maybe talk it out or be down the pub with other people or things but there are plenty of people who actually what really restores them is being by themselves and that's just fine you just got to know which one is yours you mentioned about sort of knowing that your bucket's full i wonder if there's and again this might be this might be a conversation for another group of people but is there a way of of recognizing that potentially you may be experiencing some sort of moral injury and maybe roughly pinpointing where it is 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 there anything that we can do ourselves with that or would you recommend that you know that's done with a wider group of people or you know with sort of professional help that kind of thing we can certainly know what's going on with ourselves yeah we've just got to let ourselves pay attention to it which isn't always very easy so when a job sticks with you and you can't shake it but really can't shake it i mean over more than about three or four weeks that's when you'd think ah I probably need to pay some kind of attention to this and maybe find someone else to talk to about it. And that can be an initial conversation with a colleague, can't it? And then maybe thinking, because sometimes professional help could be really useful because it might be connected to all sorts of other stuff that's worth having a look at. Um, But we can certainly know when we're not okay. I suppose the thing that sometimes happens is that sometimes people get very, very not okay and they genuinely don't know because they've pushed themselves so hard for so long. And they need to, they either need somebody else to spot it for them or something spectacular happens and then it is seen, if you see what I mean. Yeah, the, the bucket then becomes definitely overfull and people yeah. see the issue um, yeah. and that's when it comes out. So it's, it's important then for, for those around you to have an awareness of, of your kind of baseline, I guess, you know, sort of where you yeah, are. Yeah, definitely. Normally. And that's why teams work really well, because people get to know each other, don't they? And they know, as you say, what your baseline is and how you usually are. And then they know when something's up. Because if you think about your friendship groups, so your friends will know if you're not quite right. And the trick is probably having the courage to sort of say, hmm, you're all right. I noticed this thing or that thing. You don't seem quite yourself. And then be able to have a conversation about it. Mm. 
And it, it links back with, with doing the job at the end of the day, doesn't it? Because if, if you're spotting that your friend, colleague isn't 100%, then yeah. advising that they, you know, take some time or, or look at their situation will inevitably help them in the long run and help their patients or the people that they're working with as well, can't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not always entirely comfortable. I can imagine people listening to us talk going, yeah, well, it's all very well for you to say, <laughs> because it's not always easy to say to someone, are you all right? Because you sort of think, crikey, if I open up this conversation, where's it all going to end? So just to acknowledge that it can be difficult to not challenge, but to mention to somebody, mm, I'm not sure you're okay. And it, um, it's not always well received when we're not, when we're really, really not okay. We might not be very friendly to the people who are trying to say, are you all right? No, that's, I think that's a really good point. And that sort of check and challenge moment can always be, be quite tense. This, this, I think, leads us into an interesting question around stigma of mental health in general, and in particular in roles like the ambulance service. Like yeah. I know you work with police and fire and hospital oh. settings as well. What, what, is, what does that look like for you? And how do you think we can start ourselves to break down those barriers enough to maybe have those conversations in a in a more uh, welcoming environment or at least one where it's not immediately defensive or stigmatized so i think the thing about stigma the thing about the stigma around mental health or expressed emotion or whatever you want to call it so it's i think it's complicated it comes from lots of different areas so one of the things is it's, it isn't very nice to be around people when they're upset or angry it's not pleasant and, and we it feels not great okay so there's that so for a start it's difficult to be around and depressed but when people are very depressed it's difficult to be around it's scary if it's happening to you because it it isn't clear when you're in it how you're going to get out of it and so that's very frightening so it feels a bit like crikey let's not even go there because who knows where this is all going to end and it's also really difficult if it prevents you from doing your job if you're ill and can't do your job that's an awful thing because we often our identity is really bound up in our jobs and they have a lot of meaning for us and, and, and really are connected to who we are and who we think we are I think I really think that taking time off work or being or being told to take time off work or being stood down for a bit is is a very difficult thing. And we need to get better at handling that. We need definitely need to allow it to happen because breaks are really important, you know, and being able to hit the pause button so that you can attend to your health is is really, really important. But we need to find better ways of doing it. I'm not sure in any industry, whether it's academia or healthcare, I'm not sure that we've really cracked that one yet. I suppose people get into these kind of roles because they want to help people at the end of the day. And yeah. if they feel like they're, you know, taking time off because or they're they're looking after themselves, then they're not looking after their patients. They're not doing a good job. They're not, like you say, uh, playing the part of that identity of being a clinician or a call handler or a, you know, uh, someone who works in, in the office supporting the organisation. You know, all of those play a role. And if you're not doing that, then then uh, I suppose the question becomes, what are you? But uh, is it important to remember that you are still doing that, but to do that, you need to feel better in yourself? Yes, and I think we can draw an analogy with physical health and physical injury. So if you think about footballers or sports people more generally, sometimes they have awful injuries and they have to take time out because they have to, because they can't 
do what the, they cannot do their job if they've got I don't know an ACL tear or so, something's happened that means they can't do their job and they have absolutely no choice except to stop doing it for a bit then do all their rehab and physio and do all their exercises and they have a trainer that works with them until they're back to full fitness and then they say right now you are fit and you can go back to doing the thing that you want to do so when they're having to have downtime for an injury they're not not a footballer then of course they're still a footballer but they have an injury and they need to get better from it and it's the same thing and the, the thing is we're our own worst enemies this is what i mean about being kind to yourself as well is that that narrative about if i'm not working then i'm not helping or i'm not being the, who i think i am all these kinds of things we all need to in every area get a bit better at giving ourselves the time we need to get better from things whether it's seriously whether it's mental health stuff or whether it's physical health stuff we, you know you see it all the time with people dragging themselves back to work when they're in no fit state and that's crazy that's not kind is it you wouldn't treat your patients or your best friends like that so why, would so you why do we do like it to that? ourselves yeah, yeah. No, that's, I think that's a really good point. So uh, I guess my, my final question is, um, it, how, how would you explain to people that it's okay to, to kind of live with these jobs? You know, p- people are gonna see hundreds, if not thousands of jobs in their career. Some are, are going to live with them, aren't they? And how can we describe it that it's okay for those jobs to, to stay with you? you know, even years after the incident because I think some people may want to you know sort of forget about that job as much as they can but maybe it makes them you know the the clinician the the person that they are it's just one of those things that stays with them for for the rest of their career yeah so I've been we've been talking about this actually I was talking to various different people about this funnily enough we talked about how they were talking about how when they went around the patch where they usually work they would remember all kinds of jobs because of the location you know you'd get to a particular street corner and remember a particular um, rtc or you'd go past a particular house and remember a carjack arrest or something and that's kind of life isn't it you always have memories that stay with you and we remember people and things who are lost to us now and maybe those memories hurt and work is no different so for me i think i'd pick up on what you were saying about how it makes they make you who you are you learn from them a lot of these jobs um you really learn from them and what we're trying to reach the point we're trying to reach is not so much a point of forgetting but being able to live alongside this stuff in a way so that it doesn't hurt so if it's really hurting each time, then it needs some attention so that it doesn't hurt. Um, we can't erase our memories or, or walk away from all our experiences. They are there, and some of them will pop up from time to time. But knowing that we can deal with them is a very great strength, and you can just learn coping techniques to deal with these things just like you'd learn anything else. So, so the final, final thing. Then, sorry, what what kind of coping techniques would you would you recommend? The sort of not quick and easy ones, because none of these are ever quick and easy. But the the simple ones that people listening now could could just start pausing this podcast and do. So that's a tricky one, isn't it? I think if I was to recommend something, anyone can do. Uh, it's very much to. I think press the pause button to just for a moment 
be here now. Um, there's lots of different ways of doing that, bringing yourself into the present moment. You can do it by focusing on your breathing, just gentle in and out breaths through the nose, not too big breaths, you make yourself dizzy. <laughs> or if breathing doesn't suit you and focusing on your breath is not something that suits everybody for various different reasons. So another one to do would be to, we call it um, notice five things. So that might be notice something you can see, something you can hear, something you can smell, something you can feel. Yeah, maybe just several of these because it brings you right into the present moment. So when we're upset and worried and stressed and all these things, it's usually because of stuff if that's going on in our heads. I mean, not always. Sometimes it's because you're in a difficult situation right there, right now. But it's very often because of the things that are going around in our minds. And so to just quiet your mind just for a minute, you need to distract it, but with something nice and slow, like either your breath or noticing. Those can be really useful things to do. And they take practice if you're naturally a bit nervy and anxious like I am you know it took me a long time to learn to do these things but some people will learn much more quickly and you don't have to be necessarily focusing on the present moment for a long time you can just do it for a little minute just to give yourself a teeny tiny break and then just build in lots of those really little breaks throughout the day no I think that's I think that's some really useful advice Esther thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it not at all. It was lovely. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks. I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for listening. For now, take care of each other. Be kind. Thank you very much.